0: When it's dark and dreary in these winter months, what do you most like to do? I'm hoping that some of you might say you love to sit by a cosy fire and listen to a good story. That's a great way to make your heart warm and bring good cheer. Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly, Welcome to this special omnibus edition of Journey with Story where you can listen to all of this month's episodes in one single sitting. Oh, mums and dads and all of you grown-ups, you might be interested in a little handout that I have available on my website that gives you lots of tips on raising kids who love to read. Of course, I know you're interested in that because you're already sharing this storytelling podcast with your little ones. So go to www.journeywithstory.com and click on the Resources tab at the top and you can also find the link in our episode notes. Now, let's take an omnibus journey with story. Now, let's take an encore journey with The Little Hero of Harlem, sometimes called the Little Dutch Boy. A long way off across the ocean, there is a little country where the ground is lower than the level of the sea, instead of higher, as it is here. Now, of course the water would run in and cover the land and houses, if something were not done to keep it out. But something is done. The people build great thick walls all around the country and the walls keep the sea out. You can see how much depends on those walls, the good crops, the houses and even the safety of the people. Even the small children in that country know that an accident to one of the walls is a terrible thing. These walls are really great banks as wide as roads and they are called dykes. Once there was a little boy who lived in that country whose name was Hans. One day he took his little brother out to play. They went a long way out of the town and came to where there were no houses but ever so many flowers and green fields. By and by Hans climbed up on the dike and sat down. The little brother was playing about at the foot of the bank. Suddenly little brother called out, ''Oh, what a funny little hole. It bubbles.'' ''Hole? Where?'' said Hans. Here in the bank, said the little brother, water's in it. What? said Hans, and he slid down as fast as he could to where his brother was playing. There was the tiniest little hole in the bank, just an ear hole. A drop of water bubbled slowly through it. It's a hole in the dike, cried Hans. What shall we do? He looked all around, not a person or a house in sight. He looked to the hole. The little drops oozed steadily through. He knew that the water would soon break a great gap because that tiny hole gave it a chance. The town was so far away if they ran for help it would be too late. What should he do? Once more he looked and the hole was larger now and the water was trickling. Suddenly a thought came to Hans. He stuck his little forefinger right into the hole where it fitted tight and he said to his little brother Run, go to the town and tell men there's a hole in the dike Tell them I will keep it stopped until they get here The little brother knew by Hans' face that something very serious was the matter and he started for the town as fast as his legs could run Hans, kneeling with his finger in the hole watched him grow smaller and smaller as he got further away Soon he was as small as a chicken Then he was only a speck Then he was out of sight. Hans was alone, his finger tight in the bank. He could hear the water slap, slap, slap on the stones and deep down under the slapping was a gurgling, rumbling sound. It seemed very near. By and by his hand began to feel numb. He rubbed it with the other hand, but it got colder and more numb, colder and more numb every minute. He looked to see if the men were coming. The road was bare as far as he could see, then the cold began creeping, creeping up his arm. First his wrist, then his arm to the elbow, then his arm to the shoulder. Ah, <gasps> how cold it was! And soon it began to ache. Ugly little cramp pains streamed up his finger, up his palm, up his arm, until they reached into his shoulder and down the back of his neck. It seemed hours since the little brother went away. Hans felt very lonely and the hurt in his arm grew and grew. He watched the road with all his eyes, but no one came in sight. Then he leaned his head against the dike to rest his shoulder. As his ear touched the dike, he heard the voice of the great sea murmuring, and the sound seemed to say, I am the great sea, no one can stand against me. What are you, a little child, that you try to keep me out? Beware, beware. Beware. Hans's heart beat in heavy knocks. Would they never come? He was frightened, and the water went on, beating at the wall and murmuring, I will come through, I will come through, I will get you, I will get you, run, run, before I come through. Hans started to pull out his finger. He was so frightened that he felt as if he must run forever, but that minute, he remembered how much depended on him. If he pulled out his finger, the water would surely make the hole bigger, and at last break down the dike and the sea would come in on all the land and houses. He set his teeth and stuck his finger tighter than ever. You shall not come through, he whispered. I will not run. At that moment, he heard a far-off shout, far in the distance. He saw a black something on the road and dust The men were coming, at last they were coming. They came nearer, fast, and he could make out his own father and the neighbours. They had pickaxes and shovels and they were running. And as they ran they shouted, we're coming, take heart, we're coming. The next minute it seemed they were there. And when they saw Hans with his pale face and his hand tight in the dike, they gave a great cheer just as people do for soldiers back from war and they lifted him up and rubbing his aching arm with tender hands and they told him that he was a real hero and that he had saved the town when the men had mended the dike they marched home like an army and Hans was carried high on their shoulders because he was a hero and to this day the people of Harlem tell the story of how a little boy saved the dyke. Now, let's take a journey with Masha and the Bear. Once upon a time, there lived an old man and a woman who had a granddaughter named Masha. One day, some friends of Masha's decided to go to the forest to gather mushrooms and berries, and they came to Masha's house to ask her to go along with them. "'Please, Granny and Grandpa!' said Masha do let me go to the forest you may go but see that you keep close to the others and do not lose sight of them or you might get lost the two old people warned Masha and her friends came to the forest and began to hunt for the mushrooms and the berries from bush to bush from tree to tree went Masha before she knew it She had strayed away from her friends. When at last she saw that she was all alone, she began to shout out and call to them. But her friends did not hear her and made no answer. Masha went here and there. She walked all over the forest until there before her she saw a little hut. Masha knocked on the door, but there was no answer. So she gave the door a push and the door opened. Masha went into the hut and sat down on a bench by the window. I wonder who lives here, she thought. Now it turned out that a great big bear lived in that hut. And just then he was out walking in the forest. But when evening fell, the bear came home. And when he saw Masha, he was very pleased. Aha! said he. Now I'll never let you go. You will live here in my house as meek as a mouse and you will cook my dinner and my breakfast too, and be my servant, faithful and true. Masha grieved and sorrowed for a long time, but it could not be helped. And so she stayed with the bear and kept house for him. Every day the bear would go into the forest for the day. And before leaving, he would tell Masha to stay in the hut and wait for him. You must never go out without me, he told her, for if you do, I will catch you and eat you up. So Masha stayed in the hut, thinking of how she could get away from the bear. All around was the forest and there was no one to ask which way to go. She thought and she thought and she thought until finally she had a plan. That day, when the bear came back from the forest, Masha said to him, Bear, bear, do let me to my village for a day. I want to take something good to eat for my grandma and grandpa. No, that won't do at all, said the bear. You will get lost in the forest But I tell you what I will do, if you give me what it is you want to give your grandma and grandpa, then I will take it myself. Now that was all that Masha wanted to hear. She baked some pies, put them on a plate and getting out a very large basket said to the bear, I'll put the pies in the basket and you can take them to my grandma and grandpa. "'But mind you are not to open the basket on the way, "'and you are not to eat any of the pies. "'I am going to climb to the top of the big oak tree "'and watch that you do not open the basket.' "'Very well,' said the bear. "'Give me the basket.' The bear went out on the porch to make sure that it was not raining. When he did, Masha crawled into the basket And covered herself with the pies. The bear came in and there was the basket all ready to go. So he strapped the basket onto his back, and started off. Trump, 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 went the bear amid the spruce trees. Clumpity, clump, clump, he went amid the birch trees. Up hill and down Dale went his long winding trail. And on and on and on he walked. At last he got tired and he sat down to rest. If I don't rest my bones I think I will die. So I will sit on a stump and I'll eat a pie, said the bear. But Masha called out from the basket. I see- And don't eat my pie, but take it to Grandma and Grandpa, say I. Dear me, what sharp eyes Masha has, said the bear. She sees everything. He picked up the basket and went on. After a little while he stopped again and said, If I don't rest my bones, I think I will So I will sit on a stump and eat a pie. But Masha called out again from the basket. I see you, I see you. Don't sit on the stump and don't eat my pie. But take it to Grandma and Grandpa, say I. What a clever little girl Masha is, said the bear. She is sitting high up in a tree and she is far away. But she sees all I do, and she hears all I say. He got to his feet and walked on and on and on, even faster than before. He came to the village, and finding the house where Masha's grandfather and grandmother lived, he began to bang away on the gate with all his might knock knock open the gate he cried i have brought something for you from masha he cried but the village dogs scented the bear and they rushed out at him from every yard yelping and barking the bear was so frightened he set down the basket by the gate And away he ran as fast as he could without looking back. The old man and the old woman came up to the gate and they saw the basket. What is in the basket? the old woman asked. The old man lifted the top and looked. And he could not believe his eyes. For there in the basket sat Masha, alive and well. The old man and the old woman were overjoyed. They kissed and they hugged and they embraced Masha. And they said she was as clever as clever can be. As indeed all of you will surely... Agree. take a journey with Why the Leopard Has Spots. There once was a time long, long, long ago when Leopard had no spots. His fur then was simply many different shades of chestnut brown which helped him to blend into the colours of the forest and made it easy for him to glide silently in and out of the trees without being noticed. Leopard loved his cloak of invisibility. Now one year, a terrible drought came across the land, turning the earth brown and parched, All through the summer the crops dried up in the scorching heat and food became scarce. Some of the animals were wise enough to store up food so they would be able to celebrate the annual harvest festival with their usual grand feast that they held in the middle of the forest. But Leopard was not one of the wise ones. He was lazy, and he let others do all the hard work. On the day of the festival, there was a long procession of all the animals, marching, singing, and dancing their way into the forest, with Lion leading the way. A fire pit had been dug, and yams had been laid out for everyone to eat and celebrate. As they made their way through the forest... Leopard walked quietly behind. He was in no mood to sing, nor to dance. All he wanted to do was eat. (laughs) He hadn't eaten for days. He was ravenous, and he knew it was going to be a while before he could eat, because this procession was taking a long time. With all of the animals stopping to dance and sing and make merry. How he wished they would just hurry up and start the feast! But all the other animals were enjoying themselves. Monkey was riding on elephant's back and singing loudly, while Lizard scurried along behind Snake. And all the while, Leopard looked at them miserably with his tummy rumbling. Finally, they reached the middle of the forest and Lion let out a loud roar for everyone to form a circle so the dancing could continue. As Leopard hung back, feeling too grumpy to join in, the earthy smell of roasted yams drifted towards him. "'Oh, those yams must be close.' "'Thought Leopard, and he decided to search them out. "'Blending into the trees with his light brown fur, "'Leopard wandered off into the forest "'with his nose sniffing in the air. "'He followed the scent until he came across "'the roots of a giant fig tree. "'Piled up high at the foot of the tree "'were the roasted yams for the harvest feast.' There were so many yams, and they smelled delicious. Leopard licked his lips longingly. He couldn't resist the temptation. Surely no one would miss just one yam, he thought, looking around to see if anyone was watching. And of course, since his brown fur blended completely into the forest no one could see him grabbing a yam between his jaws it was delicious I will just have one more he thought as he reached out for another this one was even tastier than the first there are far too many yams here for everyone he said to himself I will just have a few more and then I'll stop. And so Leopard carried on, eating yam after yam, gorging himself with a sweet, juicy taste, until before long he had swallowed every single yam and his tummy was bursting. Now... Leopard stared in horror at the empty space on the ground which had been full of yams. He felt a flood of shame wash over him but it was too late. The yams were all gone. He was too ashamed to tell anyone his secret and so he quickly joined the other animals and pretended that he had been watching the dancing all the time. Soon... The dancing ended, and it was time to relax and share the harvested yams. Line headed off for the feasting area. When he saw the empty spot, he frowned and wondered if this was the wrong spot, and so he walked on a little further, thinking that all that dancing had made him tired and forgetful. But still, he found no yams. And so he called to ask Zebra for help. Zebra, where did you put the yams? I thought your herd had carried them here. Zebra scowled and said, Yes, of course we did. They are in the clearing behind where we were dancing. Zebra now entered the spot where the yams had been piled up and saw that it was empty. She spun around in anger and cried out loudly, The other zebras came in answer to her call and stood in shock upon seeing that all the yams had disappeared. "'Someone must have taken them!' piped a voice from the back. Line let out a loud roar, which bellowed through the canopy of trees. "'Who has eaten our yams? Which one of you has done this?' All the animals looked at one another, shaking their heads in disbelief. Leopard blended into the undergrowth of the forest with his chestnut brown fur. He hid in plain sight, hoping that no one would notice the guilt on his face. Everyone stared suspiciously at their neighbours, wondering who the thief was and feeling angry at being accused of such an act. "'I was looking forward to sinking my teeth into some sweet yams,' moaned Hyena, his mouth watering as he spoke. "'Well, I definitely didn't eat the yams. The entire forest would have seen my stripes,' huffed Zebra, shaking her dark mane indignantly. Leopard was starting to feel a little sick. Perhaps it was because he'd eaten too many yams.' Or maybe it was because he regretted what he had done. Everyone knows where I was. You all saw me dancing, said Monkey. I was dancing too, said Elephant. Me too, said Lizard. And me, said Snake. Somebody wasn't, roared Lion. Who was it? Leopard stepped forward. Everyone looked at him, waiting. In hushed silence, he opened his mouth to speak up. There's no way to settle this. What's done is done, he said. Let's put it behind us and carry on dancing. He looked up hopefully at Line, wondering if he could throw everyone off the scent before they suspected him. There is a way to settle this, growled Line. "'Somebody is lying, and I am going to find out who.' "'Leopard shrank back in fear. "'He knew he should just admit what he had done, "'but instead he just hoped Line would let it go. "'Very well.' "'said Line in his I am in charge voice. "'We can all take part in a test to see who is lying.' "'Most of the animals nodded enthusiastically, "'but Antelope looked confused. Oh, "'How can you tell who has eaten our yams "'when they are already gone?' she asked. Line cleared his throat to make sure they could all hear him, "'and he replied, "'We can do the test of fire.' He smiled triumphantly, for this was a well-known test among the animals. Line reminded them about how it would work. We will make a small fire in a hole in the ground. This will be our fire pit and everyone will take turns to jump over it. Whoever is telling the truth will land safely on the other side. Whoever is lying will be so full of shame and yams that they will fall into the pit they all agreed to this test except snake who slid up to the feet of Lion, stretched his long neck up high to face him and said what about you lion how do we know that you are not the yam thief you must jump the pit as well he hissed Vine did not like being challenged but still he agreed to jump over the fire like everyone else so now all the animals lined up one behind the other to take their turn Hippopotamus went first. Hippo is so big and heavy he might fall in the pit anyway, Leopard thought. Hippopotamus took a big deep breath and trotted over to the fire pit, letting his stubby legs fly through the air. He landed heavily on the other side and everyone cheered. Next it was the turn of the zebras. They shook their manes to limber up and galloped at full speed toward the fire. With their eyes fixed firmly on the other side, one by one, they jumped over the flickering flames, their legs stretched out like leaping ballerinas, and everyone admired their grace and agility. The monkeys lined up next, giggling and singing loudly as they each took their turn. They knew they had nothing to fear. One by one, they sprang up into the air with their tails curling behind them. When it was Lion's turn, he took his time, strolling proudly up to the pit. Because this test was his idea, he wanted to show off his jumping skills. He stopped right before the fire, leaned backwards onto his legs, and then catapulted himself over the flames. He landed on all fours, as if he was used to doing this every day. All the rest of the animals flew swiftly over the flickering flames until it came to Snake. He slowly crawled up the trunk of a tree which hung just above the fire pit. Everyone wondered where he was going. Snake slithered along a branch and then himself forward off the tree. His body bounced over the fire like a coiled spring and he landed head first with a thump on the other side. Leopard was the last to jump. He could feel all the yams heavy in his belly. He started to sing in an attempt to calm his nerves and hoping to pluck up enough courage to jump. He finished a little chorus and then he sang again. The animals began to wonder why he was taking so long. Why wouldn't he jump over the flames? Jump, leopard, jump! They all sang in chorus. Jump, leopard, jump! Leopard's stomach felt heavier and heavier from all of the yams he had eaten. He stared at the flames of the fire and finally, he ran as fast as he could, trying to lift his body into the air in a big jump. His legs stretched out over the flames, but his tummy was too full. And he landed straight in the fire, falling onto the hot coals. Ouch! Ouch! he yelled as he jumped out of the fire and rolled over onto the grass. But it was too late his fur had been burned off in patches and now he had dark spots all over his body you are the thief shouted Lion. the warthogs raised their tusks in anger squealing loudly how could you do this leopard they cried From the treetops you could hear a cacophony of noise rise up from all the animals who were outraged at Leopard. Jackal howled. Hyena screamed. Elephant trumpeted. Snake hissed. Baboon barked. Leopard hung his head low and stared at the ground. "'I'm very sorry for eating all of the yams. "'I I, I couldn't help myself,' he said. "'You did help yourself!' cried Hippopotamus. "'But secretly he was pleased that someone else was greedier than he was. "'Leopard was very ashamed of what he had done. "'I'm sorry I didn't tell you it was me. "'I knew you would be angry. "'I didn't want to be punished,' he said. Yes, we are angry, said Lion. but it is better to be punished for telling the truth than to be rewarded for telling lies. Now all that remains is to decide what your punishment should be. Lion and the other animals turned away from Leopard and discussed his fate in hushed voices. A few of the animals suggested that he be banished from their land forever. He had stolen their feast and lied after all. But Lion took pity on Leopard. ''No,'' he said, ''Leopard has been punished enough. I think he has learned his lesson. Do you all agree?'' The animals nodded in agreement. Then Lyne turned back to Leopard and proclaimed, ''We will not punish you further. Your brown fur is now marked with spots forever and will remain with you and your descendants as a sign of your guilt.'' And that is why Leopard can no longer blend into the forest. To this very day, Leopard still has spots on his fur as a reminder of his greedy behaviour. Let's take a journey with... Catastrophe Kate Kate O'Connor was a girl with a knack for imagining the most dreadful of catastrophes. When she heard a tiny tip-tip-tap on her window, she at once imagined it to be some scary dragon with its sharp scales scraping across the glass. In her mind, she could see its red eyes all a glitter and its fiery breath all a flash and a flame. When she discovered that it was nothing more than a little robin's beak peck, peck, pecking on the pane, she breathed a big sigh of relief. But it wasn't long before she began another bout of imagining. When she saw a strange squiggle of a shadow slither across the wall, she imagined it must be some enormous snake that had squirmed its way through the floorboards. In her mind she could see it, curled and coiled around her middle, "'hissing and twisting and squeezing "'as its forked tongue darted to and fro "'and its angry eyes sizzled and sparked and scorched. "'When she discovered that it was nothing more "'than the shadow of her mother's flimsy scarf "'fluttering in the draught, "'she wiped her brow and gasped, "'Oh, thank goodness!' But it wasn't long before she began yet another bout of imagining. This time, when she spied an odd set of footprints down her garden path, she at once imagined they must belong to some horrid three-eyed, eight-footed monster with horns and tails and tongues that had come to guzzle her flesh and grind her bones. When she discovered that they only belonged to the rowdy twins next door who made them by dragging their dog up the path dressed in a monster moose costume she shook her head and gulped Oh, very scary! And of course it wasn't long before she began another bout of imagining. Catastrophe Kate! Everyone called her and they watched in wonder as she collected a clutter of knick-knacks and contraptions designed to cope with the worst catastrophe she could imagine. In her bedroom window loomed a large, scruffy scarecrow. "'He keeps away the robbers and stray Martians,' she explained to her parents. In a corner by the front door stood a pogo stick that Kate used for jumping up high to see over dresses and doors." It helps me scout out any spiders or scorpions that may be scuttling there, she told her friends. And right before she went to sleep at night, Kate pulled out a boomerang from beneath her pillow and hurled it at the closet door to spook out any skeletons that might be lurking there. Some people tried to reason with Kate. You're letting your imagination run wild, they scolded. But nothing anyone could say could keep Kate from her imaginings. Day after day they grew wilder and wilder until it seemed Kate could have no fun at all. When her cousin Mattie invited her on a trip to the zoo, Kate agreed at first. What fun! she trilled. But then... Her imagination let loose. First, she imagined the tiger escaping from his cage. She even heard him roar. She saw him leap and pounce and swipe. She saw the glint in his eyes and the snap of his jaws. Next she imagined the elephants breaking loose. Then the hippos charging and the gorillas on the rampage. She saw crowds of people in a panic and a fluster. She turned white and wobbly. I- I've changed my mind, she said. I don't want to go to the zoo today, thank you. And nothing Maddy said could cajole Kate into going. On another day, her friends invited her on a picnic. At first, Kate was thrilled. Oh, yes, I'd be delighted, she cried she imagined the flowery tablecloths all covered with plates of chicken legs strawberry tarts and dollops of clotted cream but then her imagination went down another path in her mind she saw a bee buzzing by then another and another and another until soon There was a whole swarm of them, buzzing and bumbling and stinging. Now she saw her friends swiping and swatting and screaming and screeching. She saw herself leaping and jumping and racing to the river. In she plunged, only to come face to face with an enormous snapping crocodile. Through gritted teeth, Kate told her friends, I've changed my mind. No picnic for me today, thank you very much. She closed the door and watched from the window as her friends sauntered off, laden with blankets and books and baskets. And so life for Kate O'Connor may well have passed her by in a blur of imagined catastrophes and calamities had it not been for the day her next-door neighbour, Mrs. McAllister, came banging on her door. Quick, quick, she shrieked as she bundled her twins into Kate O'Connor's house. I need you to watch my boys while I try and find the dog. He's run off again. So while Kate's mother went to weed the garden, Kate led the twins into the kitchen and fed them dates and raisins and slivered almonds. She eyed them wittily. Who knows how much damage a pair of rowdy boys could do, she thought. And sure enough, it wasn't long before those two began their shenanigans. Round and round the room they zoomed. Up and down the stairs they cantered. Through the whole house they capered and cavorted. They tripped on the cat. They toppled a chair. They broke a vase. They even bumped their heads. What a terrible tangled fangle it was if this keeps up thought Kate they'll tear the house to shreds and break their bones to pieces something must be done stop she commanded sit down here at once then Kate O'Connor did something she had never done before something she had been born to do with those two boys scrunched at her feet with her imagination on the rampage she began to tell a story a scintillating story then another and another and another until it seemed as though an endless stream poured out of her the likes of which those children had never heard before. There were tales of monsters and minotaurs, labyrinths and lairs, rollicking adventures, marvellous deeds, startling quests and wondrous feats. And all the while those terrible twins sat still and silent, with saucer eyes and hanging jaws. When Mrs McAllister returned with dog in tow, she marvelled to see her sons so rapt and spellbound. Kate waved them goodbye with promises of more tales to come. That was the day a storyteller was born in Kate O'Connor's heart. Now there was little time for her catastrophic imaginings. She went on picnics and trips to the zoo whenever she wanted. And if by chance some stray imagined catastrophe happened to slip into her mind, Kate simply stowed it away to tuck into her next tale to be told or story to be spun. Just as all good storytellers must do. I hope you enjoyed this special omnibus edition of Journey with Story. And don't forget, if you had a favourite story, do let us know. Just go to www.journeywithstory.com, click on the Contact us, and fill in the form. And if you want to be considered for a shout-out on the show, send us your drawings there too. Click on Contact Us, fill in the form and attach your drawing there. You can also see the link in our episode notes. Cheerio then, join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette jonas